Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I am honored today to be in dialogue with Margaret Randall, who has translated the following book, When Rains Became Floods, A Child Soldier's Story, by Lurgio Gavilan Sanchez, a memoir of the author's experiences in the shining path Sendero Luminoso Militia. In Peru, it has been published by Duke University Press 2015. Margaret is a feminist, poet, writer, translator, and social activist. Margaret, it's an honor to be in dialogue with you today. Well, for me as well, Ari. Thank you very much for having me. To begin, can you tell us about yourself? Um, What can you share with us about the formative events in your life that inspired your interest in this particular book and memoir? Well, I am am a poet and writer, as as you already mentioned, a translator, photographer, oral historian. Uh, I lived for almost a quarter of a century in Latin America, in Mexico, and then Cuba, and then Nicaragua. I worked in Peru in 1974. Um, And so, you know, Latin America is very close to my heart. And um, I've done a great deal of translation in my life. Usually, I translate books that uh, I am inspired by. Um, They're not... um, jobs that I do for a publishing house. Uh, I've done many, many translations of books by Cuban poets, um, a memoir by a Peruvian um, anthropologist, um, short stories, uh, novels, and so forth. But um, I have also published a number of my own books with uh, Duke University Press. And so uh, my editor at Duke was um, familiar with my work and my connections to Latin America. And when they decided to publish uh, Lurio uh, Gavilan Sanchez's book, uh, When uh, Floods Became, uh, When Rains Became Floods, um, they asked me if I would like to do it as a paying job. And uh, I read the book and I was absolutely taken by the book. So I said, yes. Uh, this was back in, I think, around 2014. The book was published in 2015. Um, so, you know, uh, that's what I can say about about my life. I came back from Latin America in 1984. I was almost immediately ordered deported by the U.S. government because of um, a number of opinions expressed in some of my books um, that went that were contrary to. Um, U.S. policy in in Central America and Southeast Asia. Uh, so I had to struggle. I had a five-year uh, fight to regain my citizenship and be able to stay in the country of my birth. I had a great deal of support um, in that struggle. And I won my case in 1989. Um, after that, I, I, or even before that, I taught at a number of uh, U.S. universities I retired from teaching in um, 1994, and um, from then on, I've just uh, been a freelance writer, a poet, a photographer, a translator, and so forth. So that's uh, sort of about me, <laughs> and um, 
I think you probably want to talk about the book because the book sure, is really yes. extraordinary. For sure. Yes. Um, what are the primary themes in Lurgio's memoir? What story does this memoir tell? Well, this is the memoir of a man, Lurgio, who um, was a, a young boy in the mountains of Peru near Ayacucho. He um, didn't speak Spanish. He didn't uh, read or write. Um, he uh, spoke Quechua, which is uh, one of the major indigenous languages of Peru. Uh, his brother, he was from, of course, a very poor family, poor peasant family. And his older brother uh, had joined uh, Shining Path, which was a, it was, um, it advertised itself as a revolutionary organization in Peru in those years. It was actually a terrorist organization, um, but uh, it, uh, many of the people who joined, joined uh, honestly thinking that they could change um, the structure in Peru, the the structure of poverty and misery and so forth, inequality. And so um, since Lurgio's older brother had become a member, Lurgio at the age of 12 followed his brother into this, uh, into this organization. And for the next three years um, really suffered um, the stringent um, and in many cases horrendous uh, aspects of the shining path. Um, young kids, uh, illiterate kids like himself were uh, expected to uh, to murder, to plunder, to um, to follow this leader um, who was, you know, a self-professed uh, Marxist, uh, Maoist actually leader. And uh, at a certain point, and, and of course, and so he relates those three years really in, in the voice of a child, of a child soldier. Um, at a certain point, after about three years, um, the group with which he was uh, associated, uh, his brother had been killed. Um, many of his comrades had been killed, uh, some by the organization itself. And uh, about three years after he um, entered the organization, um, the group he was with was captured by the army. Um, it was uh, usual in those days if the army captured um, a group of, of uh, guerrillas, um, they would just um, shoot everybody. But uh, in Lurio's case, a lieutenant uh, took pity on him. He was a, uh, an undernourished 15-year-old uh, uh, who could neither uh, speak Spanish nor read or write. And so rather than shooting him, this lieutenant decided to um, recruit him into the armed services. He then spent uh, most of the next decade in the army, um, which benefited him in some ways because he they sent him to school, he learned Spanish, he learned to read and write. But um, he eventually came to the conclusion that um, the army was just as bad in, in its own way as the guerrillas had been. And so he quit the army and um, he had an enormous desire for peace, uh, for a peaceful life. And he went to uh, live with a group of uh, Franciscan brothers. He joined the church um, and for the, for the next few years, he was a lay brother. 
he was sent to the university in Lima. Uh, he got an undergraduate degree, uh, thanks to the church. But again, uh, after a few years, he, he realized that the church also was a top-down organization um, that was um, rather arbitrary in its in its uh, dealings with life, and so he quit. He quit the the church. Um, after that, he uh, got a graduate degree. Uh, he decided he wanted to be an anthropologist, and he got a graduate degree in Mexico in anthropology. And this book is written exquisitely in the three voices of the voice of the child soldier, the voice then of the um, of the young recruit, army recruit, and then the voice of the um, of the Franciscan brother, and finally the last chapter of the book is Lord Hill going back to the area where he fought with um, Shining Path um, twenty years later uh, to try to understand now as an anthropologist. Um, if the Shining Path had changed that region of Peru at all, if it had made people's lives better or worse. And so this is a book that um, is fascinating from so many points of view. First of all, it's it's brilliantly written. Uh, the voice of the narrator of Lord Hugh changes as he makes his way through these different stages of his life. And... Um, that was a challenge for me also because, you know, he here is a writer whose first language is Quechua. He uses Quechua words at at, at, uh, at different points um, and, and Quechua construction too, linguistic construction. So those were challenges, but uh, fortunately, Lord Hill is still alive. Uh, my editor at Duke put, put us in touch with one another and he was very helpful when I got stuck. He would... Um, he would help me. Uh, we had a correspondence by email. So um, all in all, I think it's one of my, uh, of, of the translations of which I'm most proud. And I think it's a book that really deserves to be read by everyone, because um, if you're interested in Latin American history, it's a, it's a fascinating book. If you're interested in memoir, it's, um, it's a wonderful book. Um, if you're interested in the plights of child soldiers. It's it's an important book. Um, it has uh, an awful lot going for it, and uh, I'm just very happy to have done it. What is this memoir's contribution to the history of Peru? Well, uh, Peru is a is a country like so many Latin American countries, uh, very rich in natural resources, rich in culture, um, rich in history but impoverished by um, imperialist plunder and by the plunder of its own oligarchy. Um, and, you know, Peru today is suffering yet another terrible period of, of turmoil. Uh, the president was, um, was deposed and the uh, new president can't, hasn't been able to keep order. There's been Hundreds of, of people have been uh, murdered throughout the country protesting. So um, it's just one of those countries that, you know, has had that kind of a history. And it's had uh, several movements, progressive movements or quasi-progressive movements. Um, there was APRA um, in the 
40s and 50s, uh, a left-wing, a progressive political party um, that never managed to really, um, you know, bring progressive leadership to the country. Uh, there were two major, there have been two major uh, guerrilla movements in the country. Uh, one was the Shining Path, which, as I mentioned before, really is not a revolutionary movement. It's 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 a terrorist movement and was responsible for tremendous tragedy. Um, although a lot of its members um, went into it, you know, hope thinking and hoping that they would be able to change Peruvian society. And then there was another uh, uh, really revolutionary uh, 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 movement in Peru around the same time, but it also was um, was squashed by the government. So, uh, you know, I think that this book uh, helps a great deal to situate Peru in the minds of perhaps people in this country who um, may not be familiar with the history of the country. I mean, people here think of Peru, they think of Machu Picchu, they think of the Inca ruins, they think of beautiful scenery, uh, but, you know, not that much is known in, in a broad sense here about the political history of the country. So the book, I think, fulfills uh, that in part, uh, but it also goes beyond that, you know, because we have, uh, child soldiers in Somalia and Sudan and all over the world. So it also really just sort of brings to the reader the poignant story of uh, what happens to a, a young person forced uh, into that kind of a situation. How can students, specialists, and scholars analyzing child soldiers learn from this memoir? What novel insights and perspectives are available here that are not available elsewhere? Well, um, the U.S. Uh, edition of this book, this book I should mention was first published in Peru and in Mexico. Uh, but when it was published by Duke in the United States, um, they added a wonderful introduction by Oren Starn, who's um, a, an expert on Peruvian history and on the Shining Path movement in particular. So... Um, I think that that's a great contribution, uh, both to the book and to the reader. What role does Christianity play in this memoir? Well, as I say, uh, the the middle part of the book, uh, uh, after Lord Hill um, leaves the Shining Path, after he leaves the army, he um, uh, joins the Franciscan lay brothers. And um, so, you know, the, in that chapter of the book really is, uh, an up-close examination of uh, Catholicism in any case um, in Peru. Not, I wouldn't say all of Christianity because, you know, Peru also has uh, Protestant uh, representation of Protestantism and other uh, Christian groups. But in terms of Catholicism, um, which is very widespread in Peru, um, and it's it has a lot of power, the Catholic Church, um, you get um, you get the testimony of someone from the inside uh, about both the good and bad qualities of the church, um, and also of some of the leading uh, priests and bishops and, and and a particularly important cardinal. So I think you do get uh, 
quite a good, quite an interesting look at uh, Christianity in this book. How was discipline enforced within Shining Path? What forms of coercion and punishment were inflicted? Oh, it was just terrible. I mean, uh, you know, you you were expected to be absolutely obedient to the leader. Um, and, you know, there's an incredible scene in the book in which uh, people were hungry. I mean, they had hardly any food. And so one of the young women members of the organization who's a, who becomes close to Lord Hill, they become good friends, uh, steals one can of, um, of uh, condensed milk and a couple of crackers. And for this, she's sentenced to death. And she's not only sentenced to death, but they the organization forces a member of the organization to execute her. So that's the kind of punishment that uh, this organization routinely used to keep its members in line. And, uh, you know, it's horrifying. I mean, if you can imagine a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old um, not just witnessing that, but being forced to participate in that kind of punishment, um, it's very traumatic. And I'm sure that... Um, the people who were forced to do those things um, will, are traumatized for life by those kinds of experiences. How does this work contribute to our understanding of Marxism and communism in South America? What would a veteran scholar of this topic learn from this memoir that would be a surprise? I don't know that uh, they would learn anything necessarily that would be a surprise because an expert of on <laughs> a student of Latin American Marxism would probably know about Shining Path, they would know certainly about the Maoist influence in Latin America. So I'm not sure that um, the book tells them anything that they wouldn't know, but I think it gives them a sort of on the ground um, connection. You know, a, a lot of scholars um, see things in very um, formal terms and theoretical terms. And um, I think it's important to marry the theory with the experience. So, you know, you may be uh, a an expert, a, a student of uh, Marxism in Latin America or revolution in Latin America, and uh, you would know perhaps about the shining, shining path, its um, goals and so forth, its program, um, its uh, leadership. But I think this story um, illustrates um, you know, a, a a the life of a recruit on the ground, uh, a young man um, who simply wanted to make his country a better place and what effect that had on him. So I think that's extremely valuable, not just to experts but, and, or, or scholars of Marxism, but to uh, a larger readership as well. One individual that I'd be curious to ask you to comment on is... Abimael Guzman. Can you comment on his legacy and his importance? How is he portrayed in this memoir? Well, he is, of course, he was the leader of, of Shining Path. So yes. um, he was uh, portrayed as Lord Hill saw him, you know, to, to begin with. He was somebody who was revered and uh, looked up to and admired. And then as uh, Lord Hill um, experienced uh, his day-to-day -day, um, dealings with the recruits, with the members of the organization. Of course, 
Um, he was then feared. And finally, he was, um, you know, he was portrayed for what he was, which was um, a, an absolutely power crazed uh, individual. He um, was imprisoned at, at when Shining Path was was defeated, and he's still in prison. And uh, I I imagine that there aren't very many people in Peru who admire him anymore. He may be regarded as um, someone who was uh, who who managed to accumulate a great deal of power, who was revered for a period of time, but who was um, then seen for what he was. No, so I mean, there may be people in Peru who still admire him, who are. Uh, diehard um followers of his movement but i would imagine that there's there there are very few can you comment on ranulfo fuentes who was he can you put him in context for us yeah he's mentioned only very briefly i think not even by lorio but by uh oren starn in the introduction and uh a line from a song of his is quoted um and again, I can't remember the line from the song, but it's it's something that sort of characterized for Lord Hill, uh the struggle. So, but and the condition of the peasants in his area. So yes, he was a, a songwriter, a popular songwriter in Peru. Who was Cardinal Juan Landazuri? He comes up in a few places. Can you contextualize yes. him for us? He was um, a very interesting personality. He was. Um, a bishop, the Bishop of Lima, and later the Cardinal, a Cardinal. Uh, and he was um, a uh, liberation theologist. So he was um, uh, in favor of the progressive changes in the church that took place um, following uh, John the 20, Pope John the 23rd's um, uh, tenure as Pope. Um, and uh, so he, uh, Lord Hugh had some contacts with him uh, in when he was with the Franciscan brothers. So um, he's a he's a very interesting character, and he's um, he's really just sort of mentioned from time to time during that part of the book. But I think he's something he's somebody that um, readers will probably want to look up and find out more about because he's he had a very interesting life. This question is hypothetical and counterfactual. How might Peruvian history have turned out differently had Shining Path achieved its aims? Oh, uh, well, I'm glad it's a hypothetical question because I think it would have been uh, a great tragedy. You know, I think, uh, I do think that uh, Peru needs um, revolutionary change. It needs social change. I worked in Peru during the, um, the, uh, Velasco Alvarado government um, in 73 and 74. He was a a, uh, a progressive president uh, who tried to institute a number of, of positive changes in the country. So I'm very familiar with the poverty and the um, imbalance, the inequality that exists in the country. But had an organization like Shining Path um, been victorious, um, it would not have changed the the part the the country for the better. On the contrary, it would have been um, 
a horrendous dictatorship. Um, I mean, I think that's obvious when you read the book and you read uh, especially that first uh, chapter of the book in which Lord Hugh um, is is a member of the Shining Path and is uh, telling the stories that the the experiences that he lived um, they're devastating, and I think that um, you know had had Shining Path won, I think it would have been a, a terrible tragedy for the country. What kinds of quote unquote choiceless choices appear in this story? Can you provide some examples? Yes, well, I think when someone is absolutely impoverished, um, has never gone to school, uh, can't uh, read or write, can't speak the official language of the country, um, this was Lord Hill's case, um, I think many of your choices are choiceless. You know, I think that by virtue of, of your situation, uh, you don't have many choices. And I think that's what this book shows that, you know, he went into what he thought was a revolutionary organization that proved to be wrong. He he then was recruited into the army, uh, which he thought was uh, maybe an organization that, um, that uh, established law and order in the country that proved to be wrong. The army proved to be uh, vitiated and corrupt. Um, and the same thing was true of the church. So um, at the end of the book, when he he becomes a, an anthropologist and he, he gets to study and he uh, gets to understand the uh, history and the, the social forces and political forces and economic forces that are at work in his country, that's when he begin, begins to have choices, meaningful choices, real choices. So I think the whole book is, um, is an example of how ignorance and poverty um, and uh, uh, control by other social classes absolutely precludes a person from having choices and only um, well-being, health, the, the ability to work, the ability to study uh, are what gives anyone uh, real choices. Thank you. I appreciate your generosity with that answer. Thank you. You're welcome. One passage I would be curious to ask you about is on page 71. Um, the following is written. I knew a lot of saintly Franciscan brothers who devoted their lives to the poor. What does it mean to be saintly? It means transcending the human condition. On the other hand, most of the brothers from the time of our novitiate, we were all called brothers. We had our defects like any other human being. Those stereotypes believed by the faithful, that we were all angels, that our hands could work miracles are not true. History accepts those ideas even less. We were simply good men helping our community. In our period as postulants, my friend Cachon, the nickname we gave Jose, arrived with candies in his backpack for us all. He thought that, as Franciscans, we should walk barefooted, love the poor, and those who were our enemies, and not look at pretty women. For him, the Bible was God's divine word dictated to Moses on Mount Sinai. During the novitiates, we were able to open our eyes and see, as Plato taught, that behind the red and yellow flowers, there was another flower, 
the true one, finer and more pure, because what we see are only copies. That is how the Bible is. Adam and Eve weren't real people. There was no flood. Abraham was not how he was described. Those were only metaphors used to explain other things that were more important. And finally, not even God existed in human form. Our teacher explained that if God looked like his pictures, he would not be God. God did not have a beard. We only imagined him that way. God exists in time and space. He is good and bad. He is our neighbor. In order to live the religious life in the manner of St. Francis, two things were necessary, vocation and perseverance. Can you explain what is being discussed in this passage? Can you expound on it for us? How does this tie into themes present elsewhere in the memoir? Well, this is um, Lord Hill. Uh, this passage is Lord Hill speaking about his experience uh, with the Franciscans, and um, so he goes into the to the order uh, the same way as he went into Shining Path or the army, uh, sort of blinded by the propaganda. Uh, believing, you know, that everything that the Bible said was true and so forth and so on, that these people were, uh, his Franciscan brothers were saints, um, that, you know, God was uh, some higher being, you know, with a beard, etc. Um, and then as he matures, um, he realizes that these things are metaphors, um, that they're not necessarily uh, real, and that, um, you know, that, and so his eyes are opened. And I, I think the way it relates to other parts of the memoir is it's a repeat performance of his realization that, you know, what he expected going into the shining path was also not true. What he hoped for in the army uh, didn't turn out to be true. Um, that these were, um, the way things were, were presented uh, was not really the way they they turned out to be. And so um, he learns um, on the ground, you know, he learns through his own experience um, what these various organizations, in this case, uh, the church, uh, really was, that it was uh, composed of good people and bad people and, and you know, people who really wanted to help and did help their, their fellow uh, citizens and other people who 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 didn't. So, I think it's it's uh, the passage is is just him sort of remembering and 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 um, and presenting the the reader with um, his realization about what what the church was, what the Franciscan brothers were. One final question: I'd be curious to ask you, in the context of our dialogue about this memoir, is. What do you hope that leaders, that listeners got out of our dialogue today? What do you hope that listeners got out of our dialogue about Lugio's memoir? Oh, well, you know, the first thing I would hope was that they would buy the book and read it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that um, this podcast I hopefully will will turn people on to this title and uh which, as I've said before, is just such a wonderful book in so many ways. I mean, it's 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 just a wonderful read. Um, it's also a wonderful window into the life of a, a young boy, later a man in Peru, um, uh, an impoverished uh, peasant boy who, you know, goes through dramatic changes in his life. Um, 
and 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 comes out whole, which is you know actually quite a quite a miracle in itself, a secular miracle. Um, so you know, I would just hope that that uh, those who listen to the podcast to our conversation um, will be curious about the book, will buy it, or get it at a library, uh, will read it. And uh, that their understanding of humanity in general will be deepened uh, by the experience of reading the book. Thank you. I could not have been more humble and more grateful and more appreciative for your time and attention today and for all that you sacrificed to bring Lurgio's memoir into our collective consciousness. Thank you. It was not a sacrifice. It was a joy. Thank you. To our listeners, I'm your host on the New Books in Latin American Studies channel on the New Books Network podcast, Ari Barbalat. Today, I've been in touch and in dialogue with Margaret Ranzel. She has translated the following memoir, Lurgio Gavilan Sanchez, When Rains Became Floods, A Child Soldier's Story, published by Duke University Press 2015. This is a memoir of one person's experience in the shining path Sendero Luminoso Militia in Peru. Thank you.